Hey, welcome back to Noggin Notes, you loyal and faithful listening audience. My name is Jake Wiskirchen. I'm your host. We just celebrated our 100th episode last time, and I hope you heard it, because it was awesome. I talked with our founder, Safiso, and uh, learned about his inner workings and what motivated him to create Noggin Notes and share it with the world. Today's episode is no less spectacular. Uh, We interview Jessica Alexander, and she's got a really compelling story that's um, simultaneously, I think, vulnerable, heartbreaking, uplifting, inspiring, encouraging, depressing, and motivational. So I think you're going to enjoy it. She's she's really a remarkable young woman, and I'm I'm really really honored to have interviewed her and being a part of this this journey um and as a tease uh after we we got off the podcast what uh what we talked about afterward on the phone was that we will probably have another interview with her later on to discuss some of the more physiological aspects of what she does because I think it's just fascinating and this show being you know centered on mental health but also broadly about health in general I think it has a real place so I'm excited to to talk to her again when she comes back in a couple of months. So in the meantime, I really hope you enjoy this interview. I know I did. I was I was just, um, I, I couldn't have been more on the same page with, with a person who is not of uh, the clinical background that, that most of us have that I, you know, hang out with. So I thought she was great, and I, I'm really excited to share this with you guys. As always, the podcast is brought to you by Noggin, by Noggin Notes. This is the Noggin Notes podcast. It's brought to you by Zephyr Wellness. It's a company that I co-own in Reno, Nevada with my co-owner, Lindsay Bell, and um, we're doing some cool things. You can check out ZephyrWellness.org. It's also brought to you by Audible, and if you don't know Audible, please go to audibletrial.com slash notes and download your free 30-day trial subscription, during which you can download a free audiobook, and even if you choose to cancel inside those 30 days, you get to keep the audiobook. Audible has a, an unmatched selection of audiobooks and different audio files that you can access from comedy to news to entertainment um, and then of course the, the books themselves. So audibletrial.com slash notes uh, helps us out, helps you out, gets you access to an incredible library of material and um, we get to keep producing. So audibletrial.com slash notes if you would please. Free 30-day trial. They're an Amazon company which gives them an incredible reach to gather lots of content. Without further ado, I will stop talking and I will give you this program, my interview with Jessica Alexander on the Noggin Notes podcast. Enjoy. Well, today we have the pleasure of speaking with Jessica Alexander, and that's Jessica with a K. And I don't know that I've ever actually met a Jessica with a K, but it's J-E-S-S-I-K-A. So if you want to look her up, make sure you spell it right. Jessica, hello. Hi. Glad to have you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, and uh, it's been a while. We, uh, we we initially set this up some time ago, and then uh, life interfered. And, life uh, did. Life did. I'm so glad we're finally doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm stoked. Um, and I don't know how whether you reached out to us or Safiso reached out to you. I can't remember. Do you remember? Um, I actually got connected to you from the one a day mental health contest. Oh, I was that's on right. there and they were like, Hey, you I think they reached out to you about me, but I'm glad that they did. Um, oh, that's so rad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um how did that come about, by the way? Uh the podcast with them, they reached out to me 
Um, I had just started doing uh, my talks called Strength Through Pain, um, which are based on trauma in the body and just talking to people and um, educating them on how trauma affects the body. Um, And so I posted about that um, and some little blurbs from that, and I did a big talk in Seattle um, at an athletic conference. And, um, I think they saw that and were like, Hey, we want to, we want to know what that's about. And so they reached out and I was very honored. That's awesome. Um, so we should probably start by introducing you because, um, we didn't do that. We just kind of started talking. (laughs) Um, you're, you're a Nike master trainer. Right? That's that's your title, I guess? So my title, so I'm a strength and conditioning coach. Um, I'm an athletic performance specialist. And then I'm also, yes, a Nike trainer. Um, yeah. So I kind of, I work with all different types of humans and athletes. Um, I train people um, through strength training and different performance methods. And I try to help them become better at their sport um, or just in life in general. Um, and I love it. That's cool. Um, how did you become a, a trainer at all? Because strength and conditioning sounds really fun for people like me who played sports their whole lives and you know spent spent the t- my entire life in the gym basically. But um, I don't I don't even know what the path would be to to do that. I just feel like I, I'm some dude who kind of stumbled into a lot of knowledge by accident. But you actually probably went to school for it. I um it's interesting you say that. I have a very non traditional background and I would say getting into training is actually a really big part of my story. Um I would say it was the first step to a lot of my personal healing. Um and so yeah, I, I played sports in you know, in high school here and there. I was always really active in athletics, but my my journey actually did start later. Um and then, you know, after I was prolific in it, it, it helped change my life. I wanted to be able to change other people's lives. Um, strength training really helped me like embody myself hmm. um, and learn how to um, have boundaries and learn how to work towards something and um, you know keep with something and set goals and things like that. Um, and it also you know physically just made me feel better. And so after that, like after I had my own journey, I was like, wow, I really want to do this for other people. And then started the journey into becoming more into athletics and, and getting educated and, and going that route. That's pretty cool. And how did, yeah. where did Nike come into all this? Uh, Nike came in uh, later. I'd been training and I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, originally. Mm. Um, and I'm proud of that. I love my hometown. <laughs> um, and yeah, Nike kind of scouted me a little bit in Atlanta. So I was training there. That's where I started. I've been training for about maybe five, four or five years. Um, and then I got connected uh, with someone at uh, Nike HQ, which is in Portland, Oregon. So Nike World Headquarters. Um, and they scouted me there. And then I came out for uh, connected with trainers there and kind of just wiggled my way in. Um, and did interviews and then they hired me and, and now I'm, and, and I've been working there for the last four years, um, and been affiliated with Nike for the last. So yeah, I'm, I'm detecting this theme throughout your life that basically suggests that there is no magic bean. There is no like no. easy path. You didn't just like rub elbows with the right person one day and became, you know, where you are today. And, um, I think there's a, a real good lesson in that too, is that you just hard work and commitment really carry a long way. 
Yeah, it's really interesting you say that. Um, I just was having a couple conversations. I had a few people reach out to me about like, how did you get where you are? And how do you know, what's, what's, you know, asking all the questions. And I love that. And I'm honored. I'm honored sitting where I'm sitting, but people even want to know that. And I carry a lot of imposter syndrome where I'm like, Oh, you want to know my opinion? What? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's a really big theme. There really is no magic pill. There is no one right path. Um, For me, it's always been being very intentional. Like I've always kind of, I had to detach from this identity now that I'm sitting where I'm sitting, but for a long time, I definitely identified as the underdog. Um, I didn't have a traditional education background. I didn't have anyone in my life elevating me to get where I want to go. And I just kind of showed up places and wouldn't leave. And I was willing to be the dumbest person in the room and ask the questions and work really hard. And that's how I've gotten to the place I'm in now. And that's how, you know, hard work, dedication, and um, just the willingness to always learn and like, go for it. You know, you kind of have to, (laughs) you have to get 10 no's to get one yes, you know? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think the last two points that you made there, which are um, wi- willing to be, you know, willing always to learn. You know, I think to paraphrase mm-hmm. it, you said, be the dumbest person in the room. And I, I think that's a lesson that's lost in a lot of people who maybe have done something for a really long time and got really comfortable at it. They they tend to slip into a position of, um, I don't want to say expertise or know-it-all, but we, we, we stop being curious. And, um, yeah. and curiosity breeds a lot of humility, and with humility comes a lot of openness to receiving new information so i think i think that's a really cool key that you you mentioned and then there's the the other point that doesn't often go hand in hand with working hard and commitment which is risk taking where you know you said you know for every 10 no's you might get a yes well you got to ask and and i don't think a lot of people are asking that many times because we're just so conditioned to avoid what we perceive as failure uh, because we align failure with being bad ourselves, and that's that's not true at all. If, if anything, I mean, I think failure repeatedly, as long as you're not failing at the same thing and not learning from it, which speaks to the yeah. humility and the curiosity. I think I think failure uh, actually begets a more well-rounded and uh, probably more resilient person. So, you know, if you're, if you listen to this and you're hearing, you know, hard work, commitment, dedication, you know, like you might be tempted to rebel a little bit against that and say, well, I've worked the same job hard. You know, I've been committed for the last 20 years and, you know, I don't have whatever success you might want or whatever, but, um, are you taking risks and are you also staying, staying humble and curious and willing to learn from, uh, people you wouldn't maybe necessarily think you could learn from? I think those are really good points. Yeah. It's really, really important. I think people let their egos get in the way. Um, and, you know, maybe afraid to be vulnerable about where they sit or they are like, oh, well, I know this is the way because I did such and such. You know, a lot of the baby trainers that I bring up, I actually prefer experience over education sometimes because everything can be learned. Um, but are you willing? You know, like, do you have the experience? Are you willing to immerse yourself in something and be open to new ideas? And um, that's really important to me. Um, you can always learn something. I learn stuff and I, all the time I go to a random class like you know I'm traveling and I'll go to a random fitness class and be in there um in the middle of you know nowhere or something and just taking a strength class and the way that a coach um says something accuse something or put something together I'm like, Damn it. like yeah. so <laughs> you know you just never know I, and I say that because you know people always want to get under like in the biggest realms but you have to be open to opportunity everywhere um and also 
um, learning from, from anyone. Um, and I think, but I think for me, I say that it's like, it does take a lot of risk taking, but it took me a long time to be willing to get there. I don't want to say like, I've always had a lot right. of grit, um, and willing to work hard. Um, but being able to like stand in my own and take risks and, and be okay with failure took a lot of, um, work in my emotional realm for sure before I was able to really like stand in that. It didn't just happen. Right, right. And you, and, and you made a reference to imposter syndrome. And for, for those of you who may not be familiar with that term, it's a term that's gotten some traction and popularity lately, especially in my circle where psychotherapists, I think, as a as a whole are very um, unconfident people. <laughs> we're, we're a lot of wounded, yeah. we're a lot of wounded healers who are working through our own garbage. And, and so whenever we elevate, or we see somebody else elevate to a position of, um, quote, unquote, importance or authority, we start to second guess whether or not we belong there. And that's basically what imposter syndrome speaks to is this idea that you yourself are not confident uh, being wherever it is that you are because you think you don't deserve it somehow or you, you haven't earned it. And I think the, the idea that you can step into that and embrace it and stand on it confidently and say, yeah, I do belong at this table with wherever you are with whoever you're sitting uh, is super important to that continued mm-hmm. success. Um, so it's a, it's a really interesting balance between confidence and humility. And I think we, yeah. we really want to try to speak that into people and say, you are good enough. You are worthy. You are um, absolutely lovable and, and worth uh, affection and adoration and, and praise. And you haven't arrived yet. So stay hungry. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really wonderful way to put it. I think, um, that because that is something that I struggle with immensely given my background. I always say like, I'm so grateful to be where I am because I always say, quote unquote, I'm not supposed to be here. What I mean by that is, is like, I look back on my past and go, wow, I can't believe I've made it here. Um, even here now. And I'm so grateful and having that gratitude and then also being able to say, okay, but I, I want to go further. And, you know, you have to be willing to, to find that balance, like you're saying, and have, you know, that, like I said, imposter syndrome, something I, I struggle with. And so being able to like, be authentic and know that that's going to get you, you know, further than anything else and be vulnerable about your authenticity and what you do and don't know and um, kind of standing in that and, and being open. So I think that's super, super true. Yeah. Not putting yourself down along the way. I, I appreciate yeah. that you, you shared, you said, uh, you know, you, from where you came, you, you don't believe that you're standing where you are. And, and I want you to talk about that because we, we kicked off this program by talking about the idea of like, trauma in the body and how it affects the body and physiology. And one of the notes that I had written down that I wanted to address with you is the connection that you see between physical health and mental well-being. I mean, this is, it's noggin notes. It's a, it's a mental health show, but we also branch out into many other various areas of life because all of life has a mental component to it. I don't think there's anything we do that's lacking in mental attention um even if it's just sitting on the tv watching the simpsons like you, you gotta you gotta yeah. stay somewhat uh you know prepared to you know hear the the dialogue of the characters so when we're talking about physical health and mental well-being and the, and, and how trauma uh impacts our physical health please if you would explain what you mean by that uh what you're doing with people in that realm and then when we get into it why it's so important to you in your own personal history so, hmm, let me think. Of yeah, I know. So big question. <laughs> no time. Let me, let me, let me uh, just pause and think of how to put this. We know, I mean, 
now I know that there was a long time in my life where there is no way that I would have <laughs> been sitting here speaking on this. And I'm not a psychologist or a therapist, um, but I do work with the body and I do understand like the body. And so for me in my own healing and my own journey, and then as well as how I approach it with my practice, um, for me, the science, the proof in the science was really big for me. Um, because it was something I could tangibly grab. So, you know, people say, oh, the mind-body connection and, you know, healing and anything frou-frou for me felt, just never felt like I could never attach to it. I'm like, well, how do we know? You know, how do we know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I, like, what do you mean? And I just wasn't really aware for a lot of my life. Um, And and then coming into my early 20s, hitting like another rock bottom point. I've hit a couple in my life, but even after this is even after I was a trainer, um, and quote unquote successful by, you know, the standard of other people, like what people would look at as successful. Um, and I learned that I had PTSD and I never, (laughs) never would have ever guessed, uh, that I had PTSD. PTSD is something that's talked about, you know, you hear it most of the time, like where for you, you you hear it because you're a therapist. But mm-hmm. I think most people hear it like you know first responders, um, veterans, and things like that, right? They've talked about those heroes over there, far away, and it's like a pretty safe way to mm-hmm. discuss PTSD. And so I think the general population, and myself included, had really only heard of it in that way. And when I walked into a therapist's office, um, feeling you know floaty and like I was watching my life go by and all these things. And I read the definition of what PTSD was. I was like, Oh, holy shit. That's me. That's definitely happening to me. <laughs> um, and it was wild. It blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind. And, and so I, I through that experience started really digging into how the mind and the body are totally not interconnected and how traumatic events affect your nervous system and your biological makeup and how your brain responds to it and fight, flight, or freeze. And so for me and my approach, knowing that and being able to see that and me knowing, oh, I know how the nervous system is affected by stress. Oh, I didn't know that emotional stress actually affected it this way. So and so and so forth. That was a really big eye opener for me. And so when you talk about the mind and the body, you know, not being separate, I mean, they're not, you have, parts of your brain that control what you do and how you act. Um, and we are constantly stimulated as human beings. We're constantly on alert. Um, especially in today's society, we have our phones in our hand all the time. We're reading something, we're doing something, we're under stress interacting. And so it's, it's your physical, your physical makeup, your body holds a lot of experiences that you have where your brain is trying to keep up and catch up. And, and there are no, I believe there's no way that you can't like disconnect the two. They're, they're definitely linked fully. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's great that you bring in the science part of it too. Cause I think a lot of people who don't, aren't interested in the ethereal or the spiritual or the, you know, the, whatever word you want to you know, pick to, to, comprehend something that can't be touched seen measured boxed up quantified i mean we can call them constructs or whatever so the mind is a construct it's something that's assumed to be true but needs proving Uh, god is a construct we assume there's some higher power out there but we can't prove it scientifically so the linkage for a lot of people who doubt those types of uh concepts or constructs 
is to bring in something that's visible. And we can visibly see cortisol levels in the body tissues after a traumatic event affecting the way that your body processes things. We can see adrenaline, norepinephrine, epinephrine uh, excreted from the brain into tissues. And if they don't get pushed out, then we we lose the ability to control a lot of our bodily function and process on, a, on the way that or as I should say, not on the way, but in the way that they're supposed to be operating as designed by nature. So maybe we're taking it from mental and putting it into completely physical and scientific and saying, well, it's a brain-body connection. Well, that's fine. But we still don't know enough yet about the brain and its uh, 80, approximately 86 million cells and their function to say that we can assertively discount the idea of a mind. So a mind is defined many different ways, but one way it's defined is the way that people perceive things and intake information that we don't yet quite understand. So uh, somebody, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And I think, no, I I totally agree with you. And I think it's really important. I think for me um, too, when I first started this journey and this is like in my talks, what I talk about a little bit, and you know, this, I, I try to take it all of that. I remember when people were talking would use terms like um, one, even PTSD in general, weird term for me when I first started my healing. And then um, people would talk about disassociation or mind-body connection. And like none of those things really grabbed me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of my goals with the talks that I do or when I try and educate people on this topic is really break it down experientially and give them, you know, facts and data, but also try and like pull it back um, to be able to relate it to instances or experiences that may, they may have gone through. Um, and I can do that through my story or just through examples, you know. Um, I think a lot of people think about traumatic experiences. I, I have found in my in my experience with um, my clients and my athletes is they're a lot like I was. A lot of people are a lot like I was for a long time. Um, and they feel, you know, whatever they may have been through in their life, um, that they need to be gritty or tough. Mm. Or it's like, oh, it, it doesn't affect me that much. Like, it's fine. People mm-hmm. have been through worse stuff. It's fine. I'm fine. Like, that was my story I told myself for a really long time. Like, I'm fine. It's not that bad. It's cool. Um, and to be honest, growing up, all of the things that I have endured um, in my past, I actually didn't realize that they were that bad there were a lot of experiences that i had that i genuinely didn't know that were abuse um right and so then being able to get into therapy and visit those things and realize oh my god that is really fucked up like no wonder (laughs) i you know i'm having all these experiences and so i think it's really important I, i like to be able to explain to people like you know okay what what would be considered a traumatic event you know we think mass shooting, especially right now. Um, we think, um, you know, you know, natural disaster. We think, you know, Car abuse in a very yeah, large death and dismemberment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, I'm like, wait, 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 no. <laughs> um, any, any tra- trauma, um, can be any physical or emotional or sexual abuse, physical or emotional neglect, uh, parental mental illness, substance abuse, death, uh, parental separation or divorce, which is like pretty common, um, domestic violence, you know, these are things that like we tend to overlook as a society, I think, or as people and go, I'm fine. That didn't affect me when really like the smallest things can be considered neglect or abuse and, and being able and willing to say like, Oh, this did affect me. And then realizing why, and then tying that back to like, Oh, 
oh, this is how my brain body works. And so that's really important to me. So I think, um, oh yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. Um, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> We're so polite. Um, <laughs> where, where you're going with this for, for a minute, if I could just kind of bird walk it out is mm-hmm. you're, you're touching on the difference between clinical diagnostic definition of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, as we commonly call it. Um, and what people experience and what people mm-hmm. experience is not always going to match uh, a criteria definition in the in the big book called the the DSM five, which is what we use. The Diagnostic and Statistical mm-hmm. Manual is what DSM stands for, and it's on its fifth iteration. That's why it's five. But there, yeah. every every diagnosis we have in there has a code. It has a set of criteria, and then it's got you know some time limitations and all this stuff. And it's how we as clinicians know what we're looking at with some reasonable confidence. And that's one one reason we have it. Uh, the, the DSM exists for common language among clinical people. But then the second reason is so we can send a code to insurance and get reimbursed for it. And mm-hmm. that's that's pretty messed up too because what yeah. it, w- I've said this before and I'm going to keep saying it until I'm blue in the face or until <sighs> something changes uh, either congressionally or, or within the state legislatures that uh, fixes it. Mental health treatment is the only that I know of the only medical intervention that doesn't do preventative care. You can't get reimbursed for preventative care and mental health. You have to be broken before you're fixed. So in order for somebody to go into like say my office and get treatment, we have to render you a diagnosis. And in order to get that diagnosis, you have to fit a set of criteria and those criteria don't always capture what a person is experiencing and, or the people are afraid to face it. Like, I mean, let's just rip through some of the criteria on, on, for the DSM-5 for what PTSD is. Okay, the person was exposed to one of the following, death, threatened death, actual or threatened serious injury, actual or threatened sexual violence in the following ways, direct exposure, witnessing the trauma, learning that a relative or close friend was exposed, indirect exposure to aversive details, meaning like, you know, through the course of your duties, personal uh, personal experience through first responders, telling stories. Um, and then there's B, C, D criterion that we have to go through, um, which is your memories your nightmares your flashbacks the emotional distress the dissociation yeah. uh thoughts or feelings you know related to the trauma so like you got to hit all these criteria in order to get this very hard to diagnose condition and yet if you don't hit those criteria the person's left wondering well well what am i supposed to do then and so there's yeah. step downs we've got certain things like you know trauma disorder not otherwise specified right so it's like some lesser form and then you're left thinking well i don't have ptsd <laughs> It's just some alt- alternative specification of trauma, but we're really not sure what it is. Like, am I really sick or am I not sick? So, like, society's yeah. got this whole screwed up narrative about it because the the medical industry is is not paying heed to people's distress. Totally, and I and I, I mean, we experience the same thing uh, when it comes to like my one of my business partners, Nick Cutry, is an incredible physical therapist. He owns a place called Modi PT, um, but we discuss that a lot. And my friend, Dr. Marielle, as well, um, she they're amazing, and we just talk about how it's the same thing in the physical, <laughs> same mm-hmm. thing. Uh, you know, it's hard to go back insurance and the criteria you have to go through and, and all of these things. But coming back to your point. Um, medical industry is a mess, but with this kind of stuff, I think it would be, this is where, if I bring my experience in, um, and my story, I think it, it's wild to hear that from you, um, from a clinician side, like all of the boxes that you must tick. Um, because for me, I remember coming into one, me stepping into a therapist's office for the first time took a lot 
It took a lot, and I had... Um, Explain that, would you? Because I want to I want to alleviate some of the stress for some of our listeners. A lot of the work we've been doing through Zephyr and through Walk the Talk America and Naga Notes is trying to demystify the counseling experience so that yeah. people can get help, right? So tell, tell, take me through that. So so it might help. It actually might help if we got kind of get into my story a little sure. bit and then coming into just because there's... I've been through a lot of things that might help to give a little bit of background into why this was so... Um, you know, absolutely maybe so yeah. scary for Go me. For it. Um, so growing up, I did not grow up in a stable home environment. Um, I had experienced uh, sexual um, trauma and neglect from starting at two uh, by a family member. And so that kind of started everything. And that's like pre-verbal, you know, um, yeah. and, and I'm very young. That affects your developmental, you know, stuff. But I don't, I don't know this obviously as a child. But growing up, like I was, uh, I was put into therapy immediately, um, and it was pretty severe. Uh, and I was in counseling as a kid, and I was a really um, terrified child. Uh, I was always scared of everything. I had reoccurring nightmares all the time. Um, didn't want to be left alone. Um, at the time, it was just me and my mom. And, this, mom and, and that, mom. Stu- that stuff you remember or you were told about that? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I remember. I don't remember the actual act. Um, that is completely blocked from my mind. But uh, I remember my dreams still to this day. I remember all of my night terrors. I remember um, being a scared kid, never wanting to be left alone. Um, it's like flashes, you know? Yeah. Um, but my childhood for me was not... A, was not a good time. And then obviously by my mother and other people, I've, you know, been told like their experience. Um, but basically like that happened to me. And then my mother got into a new relationship, uh, with someone who was extremely religious. And so then I was thrust into a household that was like very fire and brimstone. And, you know, if, you know, sexuality is bad and this stuff is bad. And if you're broken, you just repent and, you know, you pray to God and they heal you. And that was a really bad environment also for a traumatized kid to come up in because I already thought I was different and broken and all of these things. And then you get thrust into an environment that's like, just pray it away. (laughs) And it's like, well, that doesn't work at all. Um, And so coming into my teen years, um, I was, uh, definitely, how do I put this? Like, I was a mess of a kid. You know, I was doing, I, I, I was acting out extremely, um, you know, doing any drugs that I could possibly do. was a highly sexually active, very young. And then, lo and behold, um, I had to be, the court put me back with that family member who was my dad. So, wow. unfortunately, the person who abused me did not go to jail because this was 1991, 1992, uh, 93, 94, Mm -hmm. uh, sexual abuse and abuse in general was not as talked about. Uh, my mom was not believed. Uh, my dad said he didn't want rights to me left, so on and so forth. Lo and behold, I end up back in his custody at 13. Um, and at that point he never, he was a very, um, I experienced a lot of emotional and physical abuse in that home. Uh, my dad was extremely bipolar, um, very violent. Like, you never knew what you were coming down to. Uh, like, if I was coming downstairs, I'm like, is it going to be a good day or a bad day? Like, I don't know. I don't know what's about to happen in this mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of anger, lots of... Um, also, that household was very loose. There was a lot of partying and drinking. I was doing drugs at, like, 13. Um, with like with the drugs. adults. 
with adults. Yeah. And so, um, with, with adults, um, didn't really go to school, was drinking heavily. Um, and then we had a lot of men living in our home. Uh, my dad's employees, he owned a landscape lighting company and they lived in our home and we had this like weird, like I can laugh at it now, but it was just like this weird, there was no rules. There was no boundaries. Um, the way we managed conflict was like getting drunk and mm-hmm. like, getting in a fist fight like we did like it was definitely not normal but you have to realize as well it was my normal right so I didn't I didn't know that any of this stuff wasn't normal and then unfortunately there was a lot of abuse in that home by those men and so it was a repeated pattern and um eventually it became too much to take and about 15 16 I left um and I started living with um friends uh boyfriends anyone mm-hmm. <laughs> um like I was just living on people's couches and here to there and again I was like I was just partying drinking heavily wasn't going to school um when I was in school I definitely couldn't pay attention that was like a theme my whole life I just thought I was stupid mm. um because I really couldn't focus I was behind I didn't test well um, and I always just chopped it up to me being stupid and I, you know, oh, I'm just a party girl and all of these stories. Well, and, then it becomes a stacking no, effect, right? So like the further you fall behind, the harder it is to keep up. And then the more you absolutely. have to, to, you know, drink and do drugs to cover it up or distract yourself with, uh, artificial relationships and yeah. And so it spirals, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It snowballs. Totally snowballed. And so then, then I ended up, uh, very young. I needed to make money and survive. Um, and so I started, uh, working as a dancer and getting into the sex work industry, which is another very vile industry that, you know, perpetuates a lot of abuse and a lot of drug abuse. And so I just, I didn't have a foundation to stand on. And I was just kind of like falling into the, you know, falling wherever I could. And I was very depressed. Um, I was very anxiety ridden. I was, uh, paranoid. I remember I can look back, like I would create stories in my head that I like really believed that definitely were not true. I was very not okay. Hmm. Um, and I finally hit a point in, in my, that time in my life where I was dancing to make money. I was partying all the time. I didn't know what I was doing. I was sad and hurt. And I just like, was like I have to do something and so the first thing that I did was um I started to try and get into fitness you know I was like okay you know you think okay you need to get healthy you know because I was like anyway and I was like oh I'm exactly you know I, I didn't put the two together really mental health but the first thing you do is like work out you know I'm gonna work yeah. out and so it's good though that's a, that's should, a good I, adaptive yeah. skill yeah we, we encourage yeah. people to exercise yeah yeah, which is great. So it's like, so I'm like, okay, let me give it a go. And I remember, I remember like trying yoga. I was like, nope. Like, and spinning. I was just like, oh, this is so whack. You know, like, I'm not, like, I just wasn't into any of it. And then what actually finally moved me was um, getting into heavy lifting. Like, I went to this bare bones barbell gym. It was kind of like what CrossFit was before CrossFit was CrossFit. You know, it was like more just like powerlifting and kettlebell stuff. And, I remember going into that workout and it was an ass kicker and I like really loved that. I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. You know, it was almost like, you know, masochistic. Like I think looking back at like, I liked the like pain. Um, and, but then I ended up sticking with it and I, I, something drew me to it. 
And I remember I had coaches there that would be like, where, where were you last week? You know, they would actually like check in on me. Um, oh, this is different. I, I hadn't really had. Um, and then being able to have someone teach me something or encourage me like, no, put more weight on the bar. You can do that. Um, and these little things that I really just didn't have a massive team of constantly in my upbringing, mm-hmm. um, no consistency like that really like it, I had never had that people looking out for me. Um, and then I was like lifting weight that I had never lifted and it made me feel powerful and it made me feel strong, which is something that I also didn't That's realize cool. that I've never really felt. Um, and so that was the first turning point for me. Um, I completely thrust myself into that life because my anxiety simultaneously, like I'm healing and embodying my body simultaneously. My anxiety goes down. Mm-hmm. My stress goes down. I'm wanting to eat better, which then makes my brain function better. And all of these things that I, you have to, I say all of this looking back on it with perspective, but you have to realize when I'm in all of this, I'm not that in tune. <laughs> I'm just like, I like this. I feel good, you know, and yeah. I'm not that clicked in with it. I think that's really important for people to know that might be still in the middle of it. Um, like I wasn't that aware then. Um, but regardless, it, it helped change my life. And I was like, Oh, I want to be a coach and I want to do this and I want to change other people's lives. And this is what I want to do with my life. I finally know, you know, like, I don't want to be a dancer. I want to do something better. Yeah. And, and then I started to go, I went to school, for, you know, I, I did all the things, studied under people, threw myself into it, made it happen. Right. Flash forward. I am, you know, I still am struggling. Don't get me wrong. I would go on like benders and go on a bench drinking weekend every now and again. And um, I then realized that like all this drug abuse and sex and all of these things I was doing to avoid my pain then kind of clicked over into a different endorphin release, which I didn't know at the time, but I was exercising excessively. I was Mm. working out two to three times a day. I was in the gym all the time. I was becoming a better coach, you know, and flash forward I become a Nike trainer a Nike master trainer and I'm at Nike HQ and you know life is quote unquote good but then I'm just like obsessed with working out and doing all these things um and then about three four years ago I had another low point um I went through a breakup with someone I was dating that um the relationship was really toxic I still was having really toxic relationships and struggled in that department and I that breakup triggered something in me Um, and I remember even in my life now, I just was, I started like getting back into old habits. Like I was like drinking in the middle of the day Uh out of nowhere, started smoking cigarettes out of nowhere. I would be out to lunch with a friend and I would feel like I was just watching myself go through the motions. Like I, I just like felt like I wasn't there. Um, I would be with clients and I'm like, I'm just watching this session go by. Like I, I literally felt like I was outside of my body. Let me jump in. Let me jump in real quick and point something out to the listening audience. If you're listening to this and you're like, wow, that's me. Um, there's hope, right? So, uh, I mean, at the end of this tale, obviously, we already know the the outcome, which Mm -hmm. is Jessica succeeds and does well, but we've, we have, I mean, I could speak from my own life where I've had those moments and I think yeah. I, I look around now and I got a family and I'm pretty successful, but yeah. So these, these patterns you build up over time, they don't go away right away. They, I mean, you didn't get here overnight, so it's going to take a little while to get undone. Now, the good news is you didn't have to go, you know, 30 years, the other direction to, yeah, right. And, Cause yeah. the, the more insight you and, have, the more, the more it accelerates and healing happens faster. So have hope absolutely. people. If, if you're hearing this and you're like, Holy cow, that's me, dude, don't lose faith. Like, don't say, yeah, yeah. it's going to be okay. 
was, and that's so huge because that's exactly where I was, where I was like, I'm going to lose everything I've worked so hard for. Like I've worked so hard to be here. And like, I knew, you know, that I had had emotional trauma and pain, but like looking back on those experiences where I sat then, I didn't know that all the stuff that went on in my dad's house wasn't okay. I really only knew that like the stuff that happened to me as a child wasn't okay. Right. Like I really didn't, I didn't click in. I never told anyone. It wasn't a thing. Like I kept it all very secret. And, um, but I finally just hit that point where I was like, if I don't fucking face these issues and this pain, it's going to swallow me up and I'm not going to be able to pay rent and things. And that is, so coming back to my way original point of being scared to walk into a therapist's office, it was one, I, I didn't like therapy, I think because I had gone as a kid and it had a lot of like religious undertones in that household as well. I had always never been a fan of therapy. I'm always like, no, I'm not doing therapy. Fuck therapy. If you would have met me, you know, 10 years ago, like, no way, not even eight years ago. Uh, No way. And I finally just surrendered to the fact that, like, if I want to keep my life and I don't want to be, you know, I was suicidal, all the things, but I I need to get help. And um, so I finally, I went and looked. I luckily had someone in my life who did, who was a big help. And I was like, you need a trauma-specific therapist. I was like, I don't know what that means, but okay. <laughs> and, you know, I found a list of therapists. And uh, what's wild is actually the first, and this is, might help some people that maybe have this experience. It took a lot of courage for me to even set up the appointment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a lot of fear behind that. I mean, even making the call. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. Like, terrified. It was so scary. And I just didn't want to. Everything in my body was like, oh, fuck. And I finally did. And I set up a couple. You know, someone had advised me, hey, you don't have to just go with the first one you meet. You want to make sure you like each other, you know, you like them and want and feel safe and all of these things. Um, and so the first office I went and bless her, I don't think this was her fault. I think it was definitely just like the whole experience. I remember I was terrified. I was late getting there. I think on purpose. I was like, it took everything yeah. for me to go. That and is not after, that is not unusual, by the way. That that kind of yeah. avoidance is very very typical. It's very terrifying, and I and I remember sitting in her office, and I was so closed off to this woman. It was like a thirty minute consultation, and I was just like, I feel so uncomfortable and sticky, and I hate it. Um, and I had a panic. Like I left, had a panic attack. Uh, got wasted and like went home like I like really did not react well I was like cry I was like hated it and I didn't even talk about anything you know but then it was like okay I tried that that didn't work let's go to the next one and you know okay and then it became a little easier and, and the person I ended up working with and the reason I did was she had a very emotional safe she took a very frou-frou approach as well as a science approach and that worked for me because I needed to feel comforted and okay um, but I remember walking into her office telling her why I was there and how I felt. And she goes, I just want you to, she's like, I have a little blurb and I want you to read it. And you can tell me if this is you. And if it's not also, okay. You know, just hmm. let me know if this sounds like you. Mm-hmm. And it was the definition of PTSD, um, hmm. like symptoms, uh, of PTSD. And it was just like a couple pages and it, I ju- and it didn't say that on the page. Um, it just gave the definition, and I was like, "Yeah." Um, and I think that was huge. Like, I it's it was you know some of the symptoms that I read was like agitation, irritability, and hostility, 
insomnia or nightmares, uh, self-destructive behavior, for sure, social isolation, yeah, anxiety, paranoia, mistrust, emotional detachment, unwanted thoughts. You're like, check, 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 check. (laughs) Check, 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 all of it, you know, and she's like, I think you're in a PTSD trigger right now. I'm like, what is she talking about? <laughs> I looked at her like, excuse me? You know, and coming back to what I was saying about being like PTSD, me, I'm not a war vet. I'm not, what do you think? Right, right. Like, you know, I was so weirded out. But then, you know, breaking down, you know, what PTSD is, if you think about it, right? Now that I've thrown myself into researching this topic, PTSD by definition is a psychiatric or mental disorder that can develop in people who have experienced or witnessed a traumatic event and have trouble recovering. Now, trauma, by definition, is a deeply disturbing or distressing experience. Mm -hmm. If we just say, like, most people have had some kind of deeply disturbing or distressing experience. Right. Like, if we look at that, okay, so then it's kind of, like, more common than we think. And, and that's where, when I got into more of that, like, oh, physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, emotional neglect, substance abuse, mental illness, domestic violence, like all of these things. And I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. I had experienced these things and they did affect me. And then being able to get in there and, and, and break that down and really understand how all of this stuff that I'd just been pushing down for so long to survive really affected me. I think, um, the the really important point too that on that definition i love the definition i think that it's worth noting that it's the it's the lack of recovery right you can you can yeah. experience a deeply distressing or event and recover but you have to have a foundation of resilience and and you if you grow up in an abusive or neglectful home you're not going to have that foundation of resilience you're going to have a foundation no. of avoidance yes avoidance that's such a good that's such a big one and i was queen of avoidance you know like whether that be falling into men um whether that be falling into you know a sexual abusive pattern or um like my for me i've had most of the types of trauma that you can you can imagine it's been there in my life and now then also all of the types of avoidance you know, like right. whether that be sex or alcohol or drugs or literally, you name it, my body's like, we're doing it. We're going to, we're going to avoid. And it's something that I never realized that I was doing. What I had always told myself was I was just a bad person. Yeah. I was just a bad person. I was a damaged person. Um, I was out of control. I was crazy. Um, I was crazy. And I, I, I use that narrative my whole life I'm crazy I'm wild I'm fucked up you know and I almost like leaned into it because I couldn't help it um and I kept repeating these same patterns and I couldn't get in front of it and I just never understood why and coming into you know one like how the brain works this was what really got me you know we we talk about the repeated patterns that we have. And it's like, okay, like I kept telling myself this narrative and the story and I couldn't, no matter how hard I try, I always came back to it. And I always fell and I always fucked up. And when I learned about how the brain functioned and what fight, flight, or freeze was, I was like, no wonder. Yeah. No wonder. Like for me, so we talk about, you know this, but just 
it, it, the, the way I break it down for people and the way I can break it down for myself is having those two parts of the brain, right? You, you have two parts of your brain. You have your cortex and your brain stem, which yeah. for our purposes is the, Logic you, and know, limbic. you know, this, but the intelligent brain and the primal brain, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that your intelligent brain is where you house all of your decision making, right? Like all of your, like what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, um, who we're going to sleep with, what kind of car we're yeah. going to drive, what we're going to do that day. Logic, like, reason, rationality. Yep. Yeah. And then there's the brain stem, which is your primal brain, which is all of the things running the body in the background. Things like, which for me and my athletics, like your heartbeat, your breath, your digestion, um, all of these things that we couldn't control if we tried. Like if I eat my sandwich and I'm like, okay, body, don't digest that for another right. four hours. It's not going to do that. <laughs> like It's going to do it anyway. It's like it's the things that your body is going to control first. And where your primal brain houses your body's fear response system and your body's stress response system. And it also houses your fight, flight, or freeze response. And I never realized, one, I think it's really interesting that when you experience something distressing, your primal brain uh, responds first. Like, it Mm -hmm. responds before your cognitive function. So that's really interesting. And then with fight, flight, or freeze, like, it was interesting for me to learn, like, thinking about, okay, if you're walking in the forest and you stumble upon a bear, immediately your body's stress response and fear response system goes into action. It's their survival tactic, right? We know this. So your heart starts to pound, your breath Start your body starts to elevate its cortisol levels. You start to your pupils dilate. You're like ready to either fight the bear, freeze, or run from the bear. Mm-hmm. And that's something you can't control. Your body takes over first, and and then if you apply it to our life, our common the most things that happen, it's like okay, what if that bear is your dad? What if that bear is a parent or a um, a spouse or, you know, something in your life that is causing you to have that fear response over and over and over again. And when you know that your primal brain is going to take over first and you can't make a rational decision if you wanted to, like in that moment, you're, you're, that you're, that's taken over. Like that part of your brain's like, bye, Correct. like we're surviving, we're surviving. We're going to get you through this. Like you can't make a decision right now. For me, when I learned that one Having some compassion, that made me have compassion for myself in all of these moments where maybe things happened to me that I used to beat myself up like, oh, I should have done X or should have done this. And then two, these repeated patterns when I'm like in situations that may re-trigger that where I immediately binge drink or I go, it's your body. It's just your body's way of protecting you, Mm -hmm. even though it's not the greatest. It's just trying to save your life because it thinks it's in that same spot i don't know, I know that this I've, makes sense to you but i don't know if that was a good way to describe it but uh, what i was <laughs> gonna say is, is i don't know if i've heard a, a person put it so succinctly in such 
regular terms for for lay people to hear because I, I mean hearing you talk it's like you've sat through you must have sat through multiple of my emotional functioning lectures and you haven't you and i've never actually met face <laughs> yeah. to face and as far as i know you haven't gone on youtube and watched my videos a bunch of times but but that's literally exactly how i, tr- I, I teach it except mm-hmm. i don't use a bear i use a snake <laughs> and, um, oh, i love that yeah a snake I but it, but i love that you brought forward the idea that you're Raised in an environment where you're surrounded by bears, basically, and your brain only learns to respond one way, and you don't really get taught that that's not the healthiest way until much later, and then you can then you can change it, right? Um, With that awareness, awareness requires vulnerability. It requires a letting go. It requires being able to tolerate the distress that for your literally your entire life you've spent. Um, avoiding. So it's a very paradoxical scenario where I teach this in a wave format. So if you can picture a wave, like right at the peak of the wave is where you lose control over, you know, you say you don't have control over whether or not you digest your sandwich or you, you freeze in front of the bear. And it's true until you learn how to be aware of that. But in order to be aware of it, you got to go through it a couple times and going through it requires a loss of control. And so if you've spent your whole life avoiding that loss of control, being invited in to experience a loss of control, like being vulnerable in front of your counselor or being intimate with a partner. And I don't mean like, you know, surface level intimate in just, you know, sexual contact, but like deep, know everything about your hopes and dreams and fears intimate, then you're not, you're not going to go there in an easy way. You got to, you got to slowly coach up over time. And what you're therapy your counselor did for you in the beginning of by simply triggering your curiosity to say hey do, do these things f- sound like you and you're like yeah they do and you go okay no big deal one way or the other i'm still here for you that mm-hmm. is a letting go that's a very tiny little bit of coaching through that vulnerability so that then then the new habit and the new pattern becomes well i can be vulnerable i can learn things i can let go mm-hmm. of my ideas i don't have to flee everybody who looks like my fill in the blank, you know, from my past. Um, and you can actually evaluate people on a, on an individual basis and, and you don't have to put up some of those barriers that you have in the past. It's really cool. It's a really inspiring story. Yeah, I appreciate that. It, it is. And it's so wild. And, and, and I, my goal with this, like I never thought one, I never thought I would share my story with anyone, like anyone. Um, and you know, as I said, like going into the therapist's office for the first time was terrifying. But when I learned this information, I was like, damn, how many people are out there like me that are have no idea? They don't know this information and they're too scared to go to a therapist and they won't see it. You know, they're not looking for it. They're right. in it. You know, yep, they're you're in, in it. it. So I'm yeah. like, how can I break this down for people to just get the information out there to make it a little less scary? And the important and like, thing, hey, the important thing I want okay. I want people to learn too is you, you may be in it, you may be an adolescent listening to the program. I don't, I don't know who our listeners mm-hmm. are. Our metrics aren't good enough. But if you're if you're in it, quote unquote, um, whether you're you're a teenager living at home and you're like, man, my life is just chaos. Like somewhere deep down, I know this isn't right. It doesn't seem normal, even though it's been my normal forever. Or maybe you're in adulthood and you look back on your life and go, man, people have told me this forever. And now that I'm an adult, I got a little bit better comparisons against what other people, you know, what their lives look like. And it doesn't matter wherever you are, if you're hearing this and you're in it, know that it's okay to go, Hey, uh, my life isn't what I want. 
there is another option. There are many, many other options. And simultaneously, we don't have to do this in judgment. We're not sitting here judging your parents. Like they only did what they knew too. So we're yeah. not gonna we're not gonna judge you. You had compassion for yourself. You said that before. We're not gonna judge you for, you know, doing all the drugs and dancing and all the things that you were undesirable, smoking cigarettes and you know, like all those things you didn't choose you didn't wouldn't choose in a healthy mindset. Mm-hmm. We're not gonna judge you for that. And we're not gonna judge people for being neglectful to their kids. Now there are penalties to that and society definitely yeah. will meet them out. But if you're in that situation, I invite you to uh, just know that there's freedom to be had and you can escape that and you don't have to make it into this binary thing where it's like I have to I have to be healthy and I have to hate the person who or many people who yeah. put me here. No you don't. In fact that that yeah. resentment keeps the bitterness alive and it keeps keeps the stress high. So, you know, forgiveness and compassion come along with this healing process and being able to just meet people where they are and go, "Hey, you know, I if I could, if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't do it the way that I did it, but I'm here now." And I can just go easy on myself and know that I'm not going to like, you know, burn in hell because of these things I do. There's, there's a redemptive yeah. factor here. And, and we want, we want that message to be conveyed. There's, there's always, always, always a path to redemption. And if you ever close off a path to redemption, you've carved off a little bit of yourself and that's, that's not healthy either. So, yeah, exactly. And I, that, you bring up a really good point there. You have to be able to have compassion for yourself in this because you can't control your upbringing and your experience. And just like you said, like I can look back with compassion on both of my parents. Um, there's some things, you know, I still have things that I'm dealing with forgiveness in some areas. But like, for instance, my mom, like, I look at that heavy religious environment. She just tried to do the best she could with what she had access to. Right. She knew it was safe. She tried to help. And that's the best it could have been done. You know what I mean? And then as far as my dad, he grew up in a crazy abusive environment and just repeated the pattern. And so if I can be able to let go of that and heal my own and just be better coming forward and know that it's just been a path to the next thing um, and actively and actively have compassion for myself in it. I didn't for a long time. I was so angry with myself. I'm like, I just want to be better. I just want to be better. (laughs) I want to be fine. And I was so frustrated until I just realized like, this is just, it's just what happened. And now I'm, you know, coming through it and I'm able to take these steps and it's going to be little by little um, and I think that's another thing where it, it seems people, it seems like such a dooming, scary thing to do, right? Like, oh my gosh, therapy or movement or meditation. I'm like, what do I do? And it's like, okay, just start with one. Yeah. What is the easiest thing to access for you now? You know, a big one for me too is like, you know, uh, the, we were talking about the medical industry and so like drugs are a big thing and antidepressants and they have their place and they are needed when they are needed and but I want people to realize there is more to it. You know, you can do physical movement. We know helps um, with these issues. We know that meditation and breath work helps calm the nervous system down and bring you back to a recovered and steady state. We know that cognitive behavioral therapy and many different other types of therapy, MDR, et cetera, help with the, you know, heal these things instead of just covering up the pain. You have to be able to visit it. And so it can seem so overwhelming because there's so much. Um, And it's like, what do I do? And it's already scary. And I always tell people, like, what's the easiest thing to come to first? Start with some deep belly breath. You know, Mm -hmm. try that a couple times a week. And then maybe you have the courage to, like, write it out for yourself on a piece of paper. Start journaling. Um, Maybe you start with movement. Um, Whatever the starting point is, that small step will carry the momentum for other steps. And even dietary um, change, you know, instead of uh, reaching for 
fat laden snacks at the end of the evening that you know are unhealthy for your metabolism mm-hmm. and your heart and and does kind of make you feel groggy you know reach for an apple like you know like yeah. little little tiny changes they don't have to be all right immerse yourself in psychotherapy five days a week <laughs> yeah yeah like start with one like start with just going to the office or making a call or like you know i think it's really important because it's the same thing we teach in movement you know when i as a coach it's from the foundation up okay let's start here what do we know um how can we start you know, the path and getting people started, you know, my average clientele, for instance, they've never worked out a day in their life. And they're like, Oh my God, I have to go to the gym five times. A week. Yeah, no, no, you're going to, you're going like, to hurt too much. Like, and you're not going to want to go back. Yeah, like, <laughs> no, no, then it's going to be overload. Okay. You know, and it's the same thing with dealing with emotional pain. It's the same thing. Like start, start here, get that consistent. Okay. And then add the next thing and then add the next thing and, and take your time with it because, you know, uh, whatever it may be that you experience is going to take time to unwind and unpack and heal from. But the thing I know from my experience is you can, you can find peace and healing from it. It can be like the scariest thing in the world to visit your pain and to stare it in the face and to bring it up and to talk about it. But it is the one thing that makes it not have control over you anymore like and and that was something I found for me to be very true as much as I still have to manage my PTSD I still get triggered I still have uh depressive doubts but now I'm in control of it I know when it happens I know when I can pull back and what I need and what I don't um whereas young Jessica had no freaking clue and was just running through life like a reckless wrecking ball, you know? Um, And I really want people to know that is that it does work and it becomes less scary. Um, I want to I want to make two points here as we're wrapping up because we're pushing an hour and I want to be respectful of your time and the listeners' yeah. time and all this stuff. But I mean, because this is an awesome conversation. Like, I would love to sit down and just pick your brain about a bunch of other stuff and like <laughs> have a beer and whatnot. But yeah. Um, I, I do want to kind of put a bow on this. And, and there's two things that jumped out at me while you were talking. Uh, one reminded me of a of an interview I had with a guy named John King who wrote a book called Hashtag Deal With It. And he literally has a hashtag in there. And he talks about his it's very sim- similar type of upbringing. The events are different, obviously, different people. But uh, type same type of environment, abusive, neglectful, sexually charged, and um there's this emerging trend towards something called CPTSD or complex PTSD that often accompanies people who struggle with personality disorders and personality disorders by and large in our culture have sounded like a, like a death sentence. And I, and I hate that. Like I hate nothing more. I don't know. There's a lot of, there's not too many things I hate because I think hate's a very powerful word. I just have to catch myself there. But like, I really, really intensely loathe the idea that mental illness is, unrecoverable and especially certain types of mental illness are somehow quote unquote worse than others. And I think on this Mm -hmm. artificial hierarchy that whoever put it out there, whether it was our professors or our mentors or society in general, they've said that like personality disorders are the quote unquote worst because, uh, they, they're a longstanding pattern of, of behaviors and they, they're, they're, you're just stuck with it. It's your personality now and it's Mm -hmm. disordered. So screw it and good luck and God bless. And I think that that's horribly (laughs) disempowering. And I think it's, disgusting and i think it's a terrible narrative to give people especially when your testimony right now has said no not only can it be recovered and managed well but we can spin this into a healthy way to go help other people and i can learn from it and i can like use it to empower myself and like 
it not only is it not a death sentence, it can actually be a springboard into greatness. And I want people listening, if you've been into treatment before and you're listening to this podcast because you think I'm great or whatever, and that's okay to say. You can tell people that. Um, but, but if you're just listening, you're like, ah, yeah, Jake, I, I don't, I'm done with therapy, but I like listening, you know, kind of at a distance, right? I can watch YouTube videos and I can read articles and I can download podcasts and um, do all that stuff and I can read books. But I'm just not going to the therapy office because I don't want a diagnosis and I don't want to deal with the, the labeling and the judgment and the stereotyping and, and people telling me, you know, poor you, you'll never recover. All you have to do is just go – three days a week to emotional skills groups for the rest of your life. And you just merely have to white knuckle it through life. Um, I would say to you, listen to Jessica's story and hear that recovery is possible for even some crazy messed up stuff. Because I can tell you like, honestly, to a man, to a woman, whatever, (laughs) through the microphone, if you were to walk into like a random run of the mill clinic when you were struggling with the, the addiction stuff back in the day mm-hmm. and you had all that pattern of like unstable relationships, somebody would have slapped a personality disorder diagnosis on you. And yep. depending on, and, and that may have been accurate at the time, who knows, but they given whoever you, you may have talked to, they may have not let you out of that box. And they may have fed you some information like, well, here's the cor- here's the course of treatment. It is forever. And you'll never recover, and you're just always yeah. going to have these these things going on, and that's like super damaging. I always want to speak hope into people, and so if you're listening and you're like, "Oh man, I've been through, I've been in and out and through the ringer and all that stuff," like remember that your therapist works for you. It's not the other way around. And if you're not happy yeah. with the treatment or care that you're giving, or you feel like you're being judged, fire them. Move on to somebody else who's who's going to meet yes. you where you are and actually give you some help. And the second point that I want to make is. The diagnosis itself, I, I really appreciate you. I'm proud of you for having this conversation and bringing normalcy to to your life and your life's events. Because I think what's keeping people from getting care is this series of judgments and stigmas that associate many different professions from law enforcement and military to medical doctors and airline pilots to uh, just gun owners. I mean, anybody who's a fan of the show has heard us talk to Mike Sedini from Walk the Talk America. Like there's like large swaths of people who don't want to come into care because they're afraid of being labeled with this diagnosis mm-hmm. that then goes up to whatever their bosses or their command staff. And then they, they're judged or deemed somehow like damaged or broken. And then they have like security clearances stripped or they get demoted or they get sidetracked off with. And then, and then like the, the problem compounds because now you've lost your, your, your livelihood or your, your work identity. And, and like, yeah. all I can say is go get treatment. Don't worry yeah. about whatever judgment is going to fall, befall you from whoever it is, because the most important thing is you being healthy. If you're not healthy, you're not, you're not getting good to anybody anyway. And on top of that, like we, our suicide rate is through the roof for people who just don't get care. Um, mm-hmm. Thankfully, and I plug to the Nevada legislature here in the 2019 session, they passed a bill. It was AB 492, I think, if I'm not making that up. And it basically said, work, uh, workers' comp will now cover your PTSD if it's due to a, a work-related injury. So, like, if you're a first responder or paramedic and you just constantly show up to, you know, scenes where there's human remains and you have to, like, you know, watch over them for hours on end um, – you that's now workers comp issue which is amazing because we've normalized the the experiences that we're asking these people to encounter the next step obviously is you know normalizing it for the rest of the world who experiences things through no fault of their own like upbringing or uh, terrorist attacks or you know what what have you i mean we need to we need to get that stuff taken care of too but please know that you can recover you can return to full duty 
Um, and, and the more we have these conversations, I think the better off we're all going to be. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's very true. And I think knowing that understanding there's two things, understanding, I love what you just said, because I understand that. I remember when I first got that quote unquote diagnosis or like discovered it for myself, I was like, book, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was bummed, uh, really bummed. Um, but what we have to realize is the name of these personality disorders, PTSD or bipolar disorder, whatever it may be, schizophrenia, whatever, like they are all names. They are, they are labeled and names just to be able to put a construct to your experience and your pain to help you heal better. And it doesn't mean that you're labeled and it doesn't mean that you have to identify that way. All it does is help you be able to have better healing. And just like you said, I love that. If your therapist isn't working for you, then get a new one because my therapist changed my life. Uh, Genuinely, her name is Gillian Chachire and she is in Portland, Oregon. And I have never had somebody help me, give me guidance and tools to heal myself better than that woman. Um, And that's how you should feel. You should feel your safest um, and you should be able to get the help that you deserve. And the last thing the biggest thing to know is like no matter what your experience, whether it's as full as mine or it's one experience that has now tumbled you into something, for real change to take place, the body has to learn that the danger of whatever it is has passed to live in the reality of the present. And oh, that's good. all of this all of this stuff that we've learned about trauma has led us to think differently about the body and the mind and how it can feel. And I think that's really important for people to know and understand. That's really cool. Um, give give a shout out to Jillian again and spell her last name. Oh my gosh! Oh my God! Jillian Chatire. Um, I'm gonna botch um, spelling her name, but it's Gillian spelled with a G. Um, and then her last name is C H A C H E R E. Um, and. I, her and her business partner, she has another therapist that works with her. I mean, genuinely has changed my life. I, I have been able to have a better grounding science understanding of what's going on. I have never been labeled in that room. Um, and she's only given me tools and constructs to be able to better understand my experience and live my life fully. I promise you right now, if I had not found her and walked into her office, I don't know that I would still be able to do the things I'm doing now. And I'm forever grateful. We like, we like to prop up the people who do good work. Yes, so thanks absolutely. for doing that for Gillian. <laughs> yeah. and my, my bad for saying Jillian, not Gillian, but, um, no, it's okay. <laughs> it's the same. It looks, it looks the same on paper. So. Okay. One thirty second thing before we go. Um, because it just popped in my head because you're talking about the different types of exposures to trauma. So something that's interesting about our field is that our profession mostly didn't believe in vicarious trauma until uh, September 11, 2001. And mm-hmm. what happened was we discovered that through the repeated exposure to images on TV of the, the planes crashing the buildings and the buildings crashing the ground and uh, the people scrambling in, you know, DC and uh, Pennsylvania is that we, we all got traumatized and um, yeah. we might call it acute stress disorder, which is the the more short-term version, or PTSD, which is the, the more long-term version. But um, my personal testimony is that I can remember walking downtown Reno to a candlelight vision, vigil about four days after it happened. I was scanning the rooftops of the casinos, wondering if a plane was going to fly into the into the mm-hmm. buildings. And, and I knew, logically, you talk about 
frontal cortex. Like logically, I knew that wasn't possible because planes were still grounded at that time, but it still was in the back of my head. Like emotionally, the scarring was there because I just watched the images over and over and over and over on our old vacuum tube TV in college. And, um, we then discovered that you can still have trauma effects, even if you're living in Reno, Nevada, although the events transpired in, in DC and, and oh, New yeah. York and, and Pennsylvania. So the message here is that be mindful of your intake on social media. Yeah. If you're watching negativity, whether it's in video form of some catastrophic event or it's just people's toxic uh, expressions of you know contempt through politics or whatever, be yeah. mindful that what you take into your psyche will absolutely affect your mood, your physiology, mm-hmm. um, the way you interact with others your sleep patterns. So, so please be mindful of what you intake into your, into your head, because now we have enough body of research to say, yes, vicarious trauma is a thing and it can mm-hmm. affect you negatively. So thank you for letting me rant on that. Yeah. Um, I always like to, I, I'm starting to do this a little more often. I, I, uh, in, in groups and like private session, you know, personal sessions and, uh, and, and supervision, I ask the, the class or the group or whatever, what's one thing that you're taking away from this? So Jessica, I'm going to invert that question a little bit and um, ask you, what's one thing you want the listening audience to know about your experience? Hmm. Wow. About my experience. I guess if I could pick, I mean, really, if I could pick one thing, it's to be able to validate other people's experience. I hope through my experience that, it could maybe validate someone else's. Um, and I want people to know that their pain is real and it is valid and there is hope. Um, but it does take work. I think that's something also to be mindful of is that, yeah, it takes a little bit of work and you have to visit some uncomfortable things and making sure you're surrounded with people that are going to support you in that is important. But there is healing and there is hope and science even backs it up. So if you feel like it's not, I promise we can give you the information. Um, but yeah, I just, I just want people to know that like this stuff does work and you will be able to live a better, fuller life um, with more control. You couldn't see me, but I was fist pumping in the air because I thought that validating others was great. Um, <laughs> it's really important, like, you know, validate each other and then validate yep. each other's experience. And maybe if you don't understand someone else's experience, that's okay. But don't don't discredit it. Right. Um, it's real for them. Don't discredit it. Yeah. Thank you, I guess. Uh, I should be thanking Boomer Perot for uh, hooking yeah, us up on Boomer. One a Week. If you, want to, if you want to check out One a Week, Boomer was on Naga Notes a long time ago, um, probably a year ago but now. Uh, one a Week Challenge. I think it's oneaweekchallenge.com. Yeah. But uh, if you want to reach out to Jessica or follow her, she's she's a good follow on Instagram. Uh, she puts a lot of uh, motivational like workout posts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, she's Miss Jessica, and that's Jessica with a K remember mm-hmm. facebook is uh, jessica.alexander.5 and then your website you want to you want to tell your website jessicaalexander.com yeah my facebook's probably not a good place to go um, hey don't go to facebook then. <laughs> but instagram yes and then my website just is www.jessicaalexander.com um and then we also have vessel performance which we'll be putting out content on so be oh, on the cool. lookout for those those things 
I just was scrolling and I saw something on June in June about uh, think you're drinking enough water. Find out right here. I was like, ooh, am I? <laughs> so, <laughs> that was on Facebook. Am That's why I was like, followers. I need to know. Yeah. I hate myself. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much. Um, Thank you so much for having me. You're great. Um, it was an honor, truly. Yeah, honor to have you. I think a lot of people are going to get some some real good healing out of this. I really appreciate it, and um, mm-hmm. we'll stay in touch because uh, we know how to reach each other now. Um, yeah, for sure. And on behalf of the Naga Notes team and the Zephyr Wellness family, we wish you all great mental wellness. Take care. Mm-hmm.